Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This is The Ruck, the rugby podcast from The Times. It was the weekend when the Rugby World Cup erupted into life. There was a seismic win for host Japan against an Ireland side who came into the tournament as world number one. And then the Welsh with a wonderful first half performance holding on against the inevitable Australian onslaught to take control of Pool D and clear the way for a favourable route to the final. I'm Lawrence Delalio and joining me from Japan... The best rugby writers this side of Osaka, Owen Slot and Stephen Jones. Good evening, gentlemen. How are you? What side are we from Osaka? This side <laughs> of Osaka. Owen, uh, before we talk to Jonesy about the weekend, you were nearly uh, the other side of Osaka, weren't you? Uh, you nearly missed the entire weekend. He didn't fall asleep on the train at all. <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence, have you ever fallen asleep on the train and woken up at Morden or Heathrow Terminal 5 on the tube at home? You must have done that. Well, I do remember coming back from a game against Bath and Jonesy was talking to me all the way home. And um... <laughs> You were in Kobe which we were um, during the week. And yeah. I, I've been to Osaka for Friday evening. I was going to have dinner with some mates. And, and I, I did catch the last train home, which is like 20 past 12. And, and to, to be fair, I struggled to stay awake on, on that train. I did wake up 45 minutes on the wrong side of Kobe. And then there was no train back. I was properly lost in translation. Where did you stay then? I mean, did you, did you just stay on the train and wait, wait for them to sort of uh, get the engines running the following morning? I thought about that. No cabs, no friends. So no change there. You know, a helpful tip for uh, for Ruck listeners. If you fall asleep on that train, you'll wake up at a, a town called Nikiashi. Go on your on your mobile maps, your Google Maps that Jones like so much. You'll find a, you'll find a hotel about half a minute around the corner. It has the worst pillows so far in Japan, and, and there's some quite quite some contention for that. Yeah, so, so it worked out all right in the end. Jonesy, we often say there's quite a lot wrong with rugby union, but for one weekend, that was probably the best sport in the world, was it not? It was the best sport in the world, Lawrence. It, it was blissful. It was just joyous. You almost couldn't believe it was happening. It was sunny. The Japanese followers got into it. So did the Irish, the Welsh and the Australians. And apart from Michael Checker whinging, it was just it was just first class. I mean, the way that the two games were played. I mean, I suppose in in the in, in the Premiership and at home, it is in the winter, and you know we have a lots of going around the corner, we have a lot of scrummage, a lot of lot of lot of mistakes. But it was joyously open back play, pace, change of pace, long pass, short pass, both games, and it was unbelievable. And you know, the Japanese are quite a reserve when it comes to rugby. Mm. If you could see them train back with a feeling of disbelief and also a feeling of I must have another alcoholic drink. 
<laughs> it was it was just joyous. One more thing: the way the Irish took it in the in the coaching room, the players and the fans was absolutely immaculate, which just added to the uh, brilliance of the weekend. You've got to say that they were just wonderful, their supporters. I've seen a lot on social media of them getting up and standing up and applauding the Japanese uh, fans, the Japanese team. It's just wonderful. We'll get on to, the, to that seismic uh, upset in a minute, but the Wales-Australia game, I mean, it lived up to the hype, didn't it? And the result obviously gives the Welsh a fantastic chance of progressing deep, deep, deep into this Rugby World Cup tournament. But just as a one-off game, it was always a standout fixture, this one, right from the start, wasn't it? Along with New Zealand, South Africa. But for me, the high-quality test rugby from two fantastic sides and Wales, just every man played his part in that, including the coaching team. I thought it, it felt like a, a semi-final or a final rather mm. than a second of, of Pool D. And I, I suppose that tells you what they know about the World Cup and the way it's set up and, and what, what they were playing for. You know, they, they were playing for what looks like a much easier passage to the final. I think Wales could go, could be in the final now, Lawrence. And they, 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 they were that impressive. And what was impressive about them was when the world turned on them and they, they shipped all those points. Was it they shipped 17 points in 24 minutes? At that point, you think, oh, Wales are going now. or well, Wales have gone now. But the, the fact that they managed to, to dig a hill in and, and, and stop it, that for me was the mark of that team and why it could go a long way. With Australia... They haven't had that great a pack for a long time, but now they are absolutely massive. C.O. Latu and Alatoa up front were just Herculean. And I've always had an anxiety about Wales that they're not quite big enough and powerful enough, especially without Alatoa. You've got a back row of, of Wainwright, Tipperick, Navidi, however good they were, not the biggest. And there was, as Slotty says, there was a time where he thought, blimey, they're sliding now, but to dig their heels in and sort of reach, stop the retreat and, and make it advance right at the last 15 minutes was, was sensational. It really was breathtaking. Lawrence, what, what did you think of that Wainwright? He's my new favourite player. I, I sort of have one every day, but I think he's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, there's so many individual performances to pick out from that Wales side, from the, from the gargantuan captain, Alan Wynne-Jones, who was just superb in terms of his leadership. I thought George North looked like the player that he once was again. They got clearly had a decision to get the, the ball into his hands uh, nice and early. And right across the team, Dan Bigger, you know, Gareth Davis at scrum half, you know, they clearly found that weakness in the Australian team in terms of uh, looking what they were exploiting. But the back row, I thought all of them actually were magnificent. Wainwright was, uh, you're quite right, has come from, uh, well, not come from nowhere, but he's, uh, it was a bold and brave gamble, wasn't it, to, to pick the three, what I'd call out-and-out Lucys in the back row. They could have easily put Moriarty in the team and, and tried to counter that Australian ballast. But uh, I thought they were superb. There was so much talk, guys, coming into this game about uh, David Pocock uh, and Hooper and how Wales were going to have to deal with that threat at the breakdown. But actually, it was that Welsh back row that were magnificent. Wainwright, you're quite right, Owen, was superb. But actually... Secretly, my man of the match was Justin Tipperick and he did so much that probably the naked eye wouldn't have seen in that contest because, as you say, never mind the first half where Wales were magnificent, but the second half where they were under the pump for pretty much the entire half, the amount of ball that he slowed down time and time again, often right on the line of being uh, you know, blown by the referee, but he got away with it and he was just immense. And I remember several years ago, probably over a decade ago, Warren Gatlin said to me, 
when we talked about the likes of Warburton and, and various other flankers, he said, we've got this guy called Justin Tipperick who's going to be an absolutely world-class player one day. And I think he's had his fair share of injuries, hasn't he, over the years. But I thought yesterday he stepped up and was magnificent. So too many Welsh players, they were all heroes for me yesterday. And it's really hard as an Englishman to support Wales. I managed it over the weekend. And obviously I know all of the backroom staff, all of the... Uh, coaches very very well and I'm delighted for them all. Well I think it's worth saying a word about Australia because you know as we all know the last three years they've been really down financially they've been really in in, in a crevasse admittedly because they've raided the South Sea Islanders they they are coming back and you know let's be fair the world needs Australia they don't want them to the world doesn't want it to be bankrupt or anything like that and these guys they fought their guts out too they had weaknesses but they're, bringing, they're putting together a young pack, which looks handy for me. Mm. Thank goodness, from the Wales point of view, that for some reason they didn't have Will Skelton there because he could have really cooked the Wales goose. But I think it's important for the world game that Australia uh, keep on coming and keep on coming. And, and you know, then, then it fills out the picture a bit. One of the interesting things about that game yesterday is, is a few of us that went there with some notepads on, if you like, a scouting report because England are going to presumably play one or the other for something will have to go wrong wrong for that not to happen you would have thought England will get Australia now but that's not a great draw is it that is a bloody hard game whichever way you look at it yeah I think it is and uh, Australia are clearly I mean I'm, I'm with you Jonesy they, 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 I thought they, they were you know played their part in that game as well and and you know, but for a few loose passes in that first half, it could you know Wales could have quite easily found themselves a couple of scores down. And in Karevi, obviously a lot of controversy and, and discussion around his forearm and and the penalty. And but I thought his performance was also magnificent. So I think they when when they regroup and they regather themselves. Uh, I don't know if you saw M- Michael Checker's post-match interview that he did. You'd have obviously seen him in the press conference, but uh, he couldn't have looked more disinterested and more annoyed. Um, and he was obviously feeling the, the pain and hurt of defeat. But uh, they've got to regather themselves, haven't they? Because like South Africa, they've got to cut, somehow recover from this defeat. But they, you know, they're still in this tournament you know, when all's said and done. And uh, I guess the, the big question is, can they beat potentially England? Or it might be France or Argentina. We mustn't discount them. But can they beat England and the All Blacks now in consecutive weekends? That's a heck of an ask. Do you know what will help them? It will help them a lot if the head coach stops harking back to something which happened nearly 10 days ago and starts looking forward to improve this team like the great coach he is. But sitting there whinging for half an hour, never mentioned the winning team once uh, in terms of congratulating them, which is something that the Irish did fulsomely on Saturday. I think Czech has got to forget what's happened and go forward because it wouldn't be favourites against England if that's the tie it is but they can certainly, at their best, beat England. Surely it's not just 10 days ago he harked back to. He harked back to four years ago, didn't yeah, he? Yeah. I mean, his, his team selection was, what can I grab together from 2015? And Well, I, just, and... I was just going to ask you about that, actually, Owen, because you got to feel that from a coaching perspective, it was definitely uh, Gatlin that got it right. I mean, Australia put Bernard Foley at 10 and... You know, really, he didn't play that well, and and obviously, you know, in contrast to that, bigger was absolutely superb. And then, as you said, with Patchell coming off the bench, showing uh, serious kahunas to uh, to slot the uh, the drop goal and just control the game. I thought it was advantage to Gatland and Co. It's interesting that selection thing because um, when Checker was under a lot of pressure, uh, 
12 months ago to keep his job in Australia had been on a low. They said, OK, you can keep the job, but but you're no longer the sole selector, which is quite a big thing to say to a head coach. So he now has a selection panel. I'd like to know who actually selected that team and how much of it was Checker's decision and how much of it was the others. Because the moment that Tamua came on for Foley, the game changed. Yeah. Then Nick White came on for, for Will Genia and they got even better. And you just think, well, what if that? What if they picked their best team from the start? They gave Wales 45 minutes of the mm. wrong team. I think they just went a bit conservative with their selection, didn't they? And, and it was almost Warren Gatlin mentioned it in, in his press conference in the lead up to the game. He said that he felt leaving Kirtley Beale on the bench and, and playing their, their, their more experienced but sort of veteran halfbacks as opposed to uh, anyone else was a kind of a nod of respect to Wales, but it sort of backfired. Um, anyway, enough of Australia because um, they'll live to fight yeah. an, another day and we don't need to talk about them forever. I mean, the fixtures yeah. fall very kindly for Warren Gatlin Jonesy. 11 days rest now before that Fiji match and, and arguably potentially an easier side of the draw to the final. I mean, Welsh fans are getting excited. I mean, have they got reason to be? Of course they have because they will go into the next round should it be against France or Argentina. They will go in as favourites, but there again, as we as we know, that's another uh, hurdle to you know when someone expects you to win and thinks you will win, that's another thing entirely. But knowing Gatland as you do, Lawrence, better than Owen or I, I think you know that he will have the team right, whoever it is. But they must go in as favourites, uh, providing everybody's fit. I think it'd be great if Adam Beard is fit to play in the second row. I think they must go in as favourites, but you know. A rest at this time is excellent because mm. people are tired. And, uh, you know, that that was the key thing. They, they haven't got to go into a, a street fight with England, it looks like. And it, it, they've got a winnable game coming up. Whether they win it is another thing, but it is winnable. Oh, he was definitely purring in his post-match press conference, wasn't he? I think he almost insisted the players go out for an old-fashioned beer and, and a bit of bonding. And I guess with, with 11 days rest, you know, that's just what the players w- would look for. So... Uh, I'm sure they certainly enjoyed their evening. You know, after that, they thoroughly deserved it. I wonder if Warren Warren had himself in mind when he was given the players' license to have a, a few days off. <laughs> well, Maybe if, I, yeah. if the players go out a couple as well. But my goodness, he's been here such a long time, Lawrence. But he actually becomes more and more influential in in our rugby than less influential. Yeah, very much so. Couldn't agree more. Of course, the other massive result of the weekend was Japan's win against the Irish. And to help us dissect the details, we're joined by the Times Irish rugby writer, Peter O'Reilly. Peter, uh, I mean, have you recovered from, uh, from, from the weekend? It's, I mean, we'll get on to Ireland in a second and, and obviously the incredible match uh, against Japan in Tokyo, but it, it was a wonderful, well, unless you're an Irish fan, it was a wonderful weekend for, for the Rugby World Cup, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Um, I think the, the Irish supporters who were, who were at the game actually were able to see it for what it was, uh, as well as kind of trying to, deal with their own disappointments. The The feeling I'm getting from back home is that there's anger and that there's frustration. I think some of that reaction is a bit hysterical. I think it doesn't take into account uh, how good Japan were. Uh, having watched the game back, uh, I've been struck by how they, they outplayed Ireland in just about every facet mm-hmm. of the game. Uh, it was a great game of rugby, a great occasion. It makes Pool A particularly interesting now, especially you know in light of Scotland taking full points there from Samoa. So, yeah, we we recovered today by by going to a hot spring, Lawrence. We went to an onsen here in Kobe and uh, we met some Scottish journalists there. And as you may or may not know that the custom in Japan 
with the hot springs is that you, you go naked. So collection of Irish and Scottish journalists walking around buck naked. It was sort of a Celtic <laughs> brotherhood thing, but, it, you know, it helped it helped the recovery. <laughs> what a wonderful image that's put in my mind, Peter. Thank you. It was a way to lift spirits. It's to see Alistair Reid in the butt, eh? <laughs> Unfortunately, Alistair wasn't there, but anyway... I mean, we talk, let's just put it into perspective. Maybe, Jonesy, a question for you. You know, we talk about the miracle of Brighton, of course, Japan's magnificent performance against the Springboks. But given the quality of this Irish team and everything leading up to it, that performance by Japan was probably even better than the one we saw in, in England four years ago. I mean, I compared the two and, and, and the, the more recent came out ahead. On the other hand, you are comparing sort of gold dust with gold dust and it, it, it's it's academic in a way, but... I do think that when Japan played South Africa, they were in awful trouble in certain periods of the game. They came through magnificently and scored one of the wonder tries of all time with great composure to win the game. But I think that Japan actually, as Pete hinted, dictated uh, so much of this game and, and, and were on top and there was nothing of the sort of, you know, there, there was nothing lucky about it. There was nothing, there wasn't no crazy uh, tries or anything like that. It, it, it was just a, a, a forcemely authoritative performance and against a, a, an excellent team. I mean, anyone who's forgotten how, how Britain the Ireland played against Scotland would see even more in the Japanese performance. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I mean, Peter, the post-mortem, not necessarily back home in Ireland, but closer to, to, to where the team are. I mean, kind of what went wrong for Ireland? Uh, a lot of what we don't see is, is how hot it is, how humid it is. But, uh, you know, we looked at that Irish team selection and, you know, bar Sexton, it was a very, very strong side. Did they get lulled into playing the same sort of game as Japan and which probably didn't play to their own strengths? There's a couple of points I suppose you'd need to make. And it was, uh, it was, it was said by Jamie Joseph before and after the game that this, you know, this was a, a game that they had prepared for for two years. And to say that Ireland only prepared, started preparing for it last Monday is not really honest. But they, Ireland would have put so much of their preparation into the Scotland game. So it's inevitable that Japan had an edge there. But if you saw that, you, you mentioned the team that Joe Schmidt picked. There was no uh, complacency. There was no lack of respect. Ireland were beaten uh, when it came to, to fitness, I would think. They definitely felt the, 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 you know, the couple of days difference in preparation time. But they were beaten at the set piece, having had a great, great start at the first scrum. Japan did a did a great job in the scrum thereafter. Ireland's line out faltered, their defence faltered. The thing we look at mostly, probably though, is how what Ireland do when they have the ball, because this is where Joe Schmidt's influence is most obvious, and he is the obviously the the most dominant personality in Ireland's preparation, and they could easily have played the sort of game that they they played to, to beat Scotland, which, you know, we, we tend to call in Ireland, we call it Joe Ball. You know, it's about possession, it's about kicking, it's about controlling uh, possession and territory. And Ireland went away from that a little bit. They they, did, they barely, I mean, Conor Murray only put two box kicks, you know, two contestables up. Ireland offloaded a bit more than they would do normally. Eight offloads doesn't sound a huge number, but in the context of Ireland's game, where, where they've been most successful, it is quite a lot. And a few of them went awry and invited Japan to play an open game, which is what they love. So I wonder whether, you know, with Joe Schmidt going up against two former All Blacks and Tony Brown and Jamie Joseph, whether he overthought the game plan a bit and tried mm. to surprise them and it backfired, I think. He went at lengths to explain that, that he felt he needed to use his squad throughout this World Cup because in the previous campaign, 
you know, Ireland suffered some big injuries to key players. And obviously we know about Sexton and maybe his hand injury is not quite right. So he's being kept for future matches. But he's got a fantastic squad of players out there. And I think once they've recovered from that disappointment, they'll, re- they'll realise that they are still very much in this group and, uh, and, uh, and actually could still finish top. It could, yeah. The, the permutations are, are, are fascinating for what happened. And the fact that it goes down to the final day as well, you know, that like it's Japan, I think the pool stages are spread over 24 days. Japan played on the first day and they played on the last day and they've had great recovery periods all the way through. And that's fair enough. It's their tournament. What's, what's going to be interesting is whether Ireland can recover their confidence from the knock that it took the other day. Sexton's presence is absolutely vital. He's going to he's going to play on Thursday from what we hear against Russia. And I think that's it's one thing which actually Saturday showed reinforced the idea that, that that Sexton is the most important player for Ireland in terms of his just his influence and his control and it was crying out during the second half for somebody to try and maybe mix it up a little bit. But that, again, is not to take away from Japan. They were completely uh, deserving of their victory. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, speaking of Japan, Owen, um, you know, for all our listeners who aren't out at the Rugby World Cup, what's the reaction been like in Japan? I would imagine it's front page, back page, middle page news. It's just huge, isn't it? As you know, our Japanese is very good, Lawrence. So we've been digesting the Japanese newspapers avidly. Um, I can tell you that there are pictures on the front pages of most of the Japanese papers. The, the, the headlines still slightly baffle us. Uh, no, no, it, it's, it, it's, it's all over the media, that's for sure. Your experience is when you get here, Lawrence, you, you, sometimes you can walk around it, you have no idea that there's a World Cup on at all. And then you can say my new word, proper Japanese word, onomadetto, which is congratulations. So if you say onomadetto nippon, you're saying congratulations, Japan. And this broad smile will come on the face of whoever you're talking to. If you're, if you're buying something over a shop counter or or, or whatever, you, you say that to them, and, and and on the whole, they'll know what you're talking about. And a lovely, beaming, proud smile comes out, and it, and it's a very lovely thing. Lawrence, can, can we can we try asking a, a question to Peter through you? I mean, that's quite technologically tricky, isn't it? From, from to the nerve centre and out the other side. Okay. <laughs> We've all just watched the um, Scotland just beat Samoa just now. So, so having yeah. seen that Japan game, would you would you would you think that the Japan team are now favourites against that Scotland team in, in that big showdown on the thirteenth of October? I would, yeah, absolutely, unreservedly. Um, Scotland looked at it, looked a different team there today, obviously, but they were allowed to play to some to some extent. Uh, I just it was interesting that the. It, it's just a, an impression, but the, the morning after the the Ireland-Japan game, uh, I happened to be staying in the same hotel as the Japanese, and uh, I happened to be up relatively early the next morning, going down to breakfast about 8 o'clock, and Jamie Joseph and um, the captain, uh, uh, Lapuskakny, were, were uh, in the lift, and they looked fresh as a daisy. There was no sense of uh, having had a late one on, uh, you know, on, the, on the back of a famous victory. There was business to be done. I have the impression that I mean it. It, it was reinforced by the the piece that you you have in today's paper about their strength and conditioning. That this is a you know it's a military campaign that they they're waging. They have it all. They've th- they've thought it all through. They they've done the research and they're in incredibly good uh, physical shape. And they'll be ready for Scotland. Mm-hmm. And Scotland will have to be on top of their game to to, to win that game. But I, I, if I had to you know if I had to make a choice I, at this stage, I'd go with Japan. Yeah, and Japan, of course, won memorably three matches in 2015 and didn't qualify for the quarter of the finals. So, uh, I mean, you've got to feel that they 
that they can go one better. You know, J- Jamie Joseph has made it very clear that that's their target. And, you know, let's be honest, it would be a fantastic Rugby World Cup for the hosts to go through to the knockout stages. Some people out there might have the impression that, uh, you know, that uh, the, the, the stick that they can beat Japan with is that there are a couple of uh, Kiwis and Aussies in there, whatever. But, you know, the, after that game at the weekend, everybody now knows about these guys like, you know, Tamino and uh, the hooker, Hurry, and uh, Lemecki and Tamura, all these guys. They've been uh, great rugby players uh, and in incredibly good shape. There's a, there's a narrative there which just seems like it's got a certain momentum now. Well, there's no doubt that stick can be passed around to to everyone to beat each other up with because uh, our two best players are Tongan, from 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 what I could see. I didn't realise that 20% of all professional rugby players playing rugby at the moment are from the Pacific Islands. So, mm. you know, that that's yeah. an incredible statistic. And I guess just a quick word on Samoa. They, they were... They were disappointing today. They just never got anything going. And first team to be nilled in a, in a World Cup match here and, and pretty disappointing from their point of view. We're calling this a bit early, but all three Pacific Island teams have had a tough time here. I think I think in, the, in a week's time, you'll start reading the analysis of that and why it is. And, well, to be quite frank, you'll, you'll have read the same thing four years ago and four years before that. So I, I'm hoping that's not the case. But so far, all of them are disappointed with what they've achieved. We, we still can never tell what might have happened with Fiji had various decisions gone the other way, but we won't go there again. But I think overall, as you say, Pacific Islands appear to produce a lot of the very best rugby players in the whole of the world. But their own teams, for reasons that we all understand, are struggling. So I think we've got to find a way to keep the Pacific Islanders in the Pacific Islands, you yeah. know, because otherwise they'd be fantastic. We had a very convivial evening, actually. We... We tried to find a place we could all sit and have a quiet drink and, and watch the game. Jonesy, I thought we agreed we weren't going to tell Lawrence. No, but, no, but we went to a, a Japanese place called Utez. Was it Utez? Utez. Lawrence, we were wandering around our, our district and, and you can't find the, team, the, the, the rugby on it anywhere apart from this place that Jonesy is calling... Uters, which, as you well know, is an American. Well, I should imagine you both had a considerable trouble keeping your eyes on the screen. We're watching the screen all the time, and, <laughs> and, and, and it was convivial. But as you say, Samoa—they lack class and, and, and real quality. They didn't lack effort, but you know, if they ever got their first team out, they'd be deadly dangerous. But it's up to the world now, the world game, to try and help them keep their players. Why have Super Rugby got rid of the Japanese uh, team, the Sunwolves? I mean, do you think that uh, either World Rugby or the, or the powers that be at Super Rugby have got a lot of answer to, uh, given you know Japan's performance so far in this competition? But the thing is, the Super Rugby lines, they've been there's a new format every year. So, you know, suddenly Japan coming in and Argentina coming in, or the, the Jaguares coming in, was, was massive. But they didn't think it through. Now the Jaguares have, uh, and, uh, and, and especially the Sunwolves, are actually advancing. They weren't very good at the start, but they're coming through quite well. As soon as they start coming through and people go to watch them, they get kicked out. And you look at you look at some of those guys who played on on the weekend. They cut their teeth at the Sun Wars. Keita Inagaki and Jiwon Ku up front have now had two years or, or at least one year of real tough rugby. And it's going to help them and it will hinder them horribly when the Sun Wolves go. And that's super rugby for you. They just, whatever the latest fad or the latest direction of the wind is, they collapse and try something else. And this is Super Rugby Mark Three, and the first 52 were rubbish. Lawrence, can I, can I just butt in there? I don't know if you remember, but after 
Fiji had won their Olympic gold in Rio in 2016, which was such a brilliant moment. Ben Ryan, the English coach, who was the coach of that Fijian team, friend of the ruck, he came out and he started campaigning to get a Pacific Island team into that Super Rugby. Yeah. And he made the point, I'm sure was right, they would be so popular with a big sponsor, a big partner, I don't know, a Coca-Cola or an Adidas or a Nike or whatever, but they've never got remote close to it. And, and that's the sort of thing that you think, if, if they could get the right people thinking in the right way, then, then they could really <clears> do something for the Peter, just before you go, the last word to you on Ireland. They they regroup and regather themselves. Is it Russia they play next, I think? There'll be a sort of an angry response. There'll have to be a fair bit of squad rotations, a few, few tired bodies given that so many people backed up for the first two games. But there are guys who are who probably feel that they can now actually force their way into it into the, the side if there, if there is going to be a quarterfinal. You'd have to expect, I suppose, that they will take five points from Russia and five points from Samoa, given that uh, Samoa are likely to be tired and ready to go home at that stage, which will put them onto 16 points. So should get them a quarterfinal. From there, it's about, you know, what damage to their self-belief that defeat by, by Japan, uh, what, what the, uh, the effect of that will be. But we'll get some idea from how they bounce back against Russia on Thursday, I suppose. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. So, gents, moving on to England and this week's matches, a couple of quick talking points. Piers Francis uh, miraculously seemed to have got away without a ban. Um, is that because England have taken a wonderful QC with the Montour or did he just get lucky? So you're referring to Richard Smith, the lawyer that England travel with? Yeah, I am. Did, he, did he... He, has, he has represented me on one or two occasions, so, so I can say, <laughs> so, I mean, thankfully on rugby matters and not on anything else. I could testify he's very good um, and very cheap as well, not... I would imagine the RFU are paying, Lawrence. But, um, <laughs> well, uh, the RFU never pay. I don't know the answer to that, Lawrence. I, I thought that was a, a, a red card. And I don't know if Piers Francis is clear to play because England had a better lawyer than Australia did with Reese Hodge. Or, or, it was a surprise. Or it, it was a surprise. I mean, I mean, on the refereeing, you know, Steve Hansen, surprise, surprise, has come out and, and, and defended the referee, saying that they've got a very hard job. And we know that they have. And we know there's a lot of pressure on them. And there has been some magnificent refereeing across this tournament, actually. Wayne Barnes, Paul Williams. I thought the referee yesterday, Roman Poit, did a fantastic job in a, in a highly charged, highly competitive test match. But there is a tiny bit of inconsistency, isn't there? And I think people will look at that Piers Francis thing and say, well, he should have got some sort of ban. I've been sending lots. I'd had Angus Gardner on the, the Japan Island game to that. I thought he did excellently. No, you're right. But imagine what Michael Checker thought when he lost his man and he's still rambling on about it now. And then Piers Francis gets off scot-free. So no doubt he almost self-immolated when that happened. Is that the right word, Scott? I mean, so, sounds good. I mean, in this world of kind of self-opinions and social media opinions, you know, the scrutiny of, of the players, of, of the referees, of the coaches is, is under the microscope. I mean, actually, if we just turn our attentions back to that Wales-Australia game, 
you're always going to come down one way or the other. You know, was Karevi high with his forearm to the to the head? Should Reese Patchell have been lower? Was it a rugby accident and, and neither should have been penalised or was it the correct decision? It, it's really, really tough, isn't it? But actually, by and large, I thought that the referee did a brilliant job yesterday in, in what was a superb, superb test match. And I think he should be applauded, really. I agree with you there. I thought the sad thing was that we had that epic game and it became a conversation about the laws and, and the referee. And so much so, I've written my column in the Times tomorrow uh, about that thing. It's just continued to dominate. Mm. And that's partly because Michael Checker has decided to, to use that issue to switch the agenda away from the fact that his team aren't delivering what, what he wants. Mm. But it's phenomenally hard. And I thought Pot did a pretty damn good job and thought long and hard about that, the, the Karevi incident that you mentioned. And you can argue it three ways one and three ways the other. And it's just one of those ones where rugby it actually doesn't really make sense. But I think we just get on with it and move on. But yeah. this World Cup is still stuck in, in this controversial debate about what's right and what's wrong. And we've got to have it. You know, the game's got to have it. But, but Christmas, this World Cup will be so much better once we're through and out the other side. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think the if I was Michael Checker, I'd be more annoyed with the Michael Hooper turnover which actually got penalised for, and Wales ended up kicking that penalty. That was in, uh, I think it was towards the end of that first half. But uh, listen, Eddie Jones was at the Wales-Australia game. He was uh, entitled to be. Do you think he needs a better disguise? He said, was he wearing a Buffalo Bills? I think he must have borrowed a, a cap from Christian yeah. Wade, I think. What will he have learnt? Jonesy, he would have learnt that they're a pretty dangerous side if you, if you let them play. He would, Lawrence. And, but the funny thing is, we now know so much more about every team, 19 teams in this tournament. Mm. We know a lot about Wales. They had to extend themselves. They couldn't hide anything. Same with Australia, uh, the same with Ireland, same with Japan. The one team of the 20 we don't really know about is England because they have not picked their first team. We do not know what the first team is. We do not know if it can slip into gear. And that is why this Saturday's game mm. against Argentina is so fascinating. He has resolutely refused to play his first team and England have not had to extend themselves. Well, now they do. And that is when we will know so much more about this tournament. Yeah, and, you, and you've got to say that when their opponents go up another level and Argentina, you know, even though they're not playing their best rugby in, in recent times, they are still up another level. You would expect this England team to, to really lift their performance. Gents, any uh, news from the camp? Any of the, you know, you guys are much closer than we are. Any leaning towards which way you might go with this team? Because Jonesy, you're quite right. He, he hasn't picked his very best team, but... It's looking more and more like Slade's going to miss out again uh, and he'll stick with that sort of forward Farrell to a Lange axis in midfield. Lawrence, if we've got any sort of a sense of which which way the wind's blowing, I think you might see Makova and Napola actually starting, which would be um, pretty good news for England fans. A pretty big decision because... Uh, you might have expected him to play 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Well, off the uh, Owen, I'm, deli- I'm delighted by that news if it happens because it means we'll see the, the real Billy Vanapola play in the World Cup as well because, uh, you know, not suggesting he's not been performing well, but I still think there's another five gears left in his performance. I'm glad you said that. I agree. I, B- Billy's been, been a tremendous version of Billy so far, but I, I still think that, that he's, he's not been, been quite at, at his height. Saracens always say, Lawrence, that uh, Billy doesn't play as well if Mako's not playing. It sounds fanciful, but I buy into that. There's something mystical about those two. They're great lads. I think that as soon as Mako comes back, 
I think Billy will will shift up through the gears. Well, I agree, and I, and I hope he's keeping his powder dry because you know England have got five back to back Test matches. Let's hope, and they're going to need the world class Billy Vanapola at number eight for for all five of them. Having a look at the uh, the rest of the or the best of the rest, the midweek fixtures we've got France USA, which thankfully we hear there's a another big storm coming in. So gents, you know, batten down the hatches. But that France USA game is going ahead, I believe. What can we expect from France? Lawrence, we, we, I think you, me and Slotty and everyone listening, we, we, we've sort of given up predicting, really. We spoke to the former scrum half, really nice chap, Dimitri Yashvili, last night, and he, he's got no, no idea at all, really. He's sure to broadcast. They've certainly got some players. We understand that this, this uh, Jacques Brunel, uh, Fabien Gaultier double act is actually quite harmonious. I mean, we'd all thought maybe they would argue, but... Apparently, they're great mates. They know each other from way back, so that should be okay. But have, do they know what they're trying to do? Do they know what they're trying to play? Have they got the right 9-10? Um, are the forwards quick enough and fit enough? We just do not know. France don't win when everyone's friends. They need mutiny. They need to be at each other's throats. That's the only, that's the only way it seems to work for the French. Very true. Lawrence, the, the view from the, um, from the French media is that they regarded their their opening game against Argentina as their group game that counted. That was their knockout game. Mm. And if they won that, they knew they could qualify. And then they, from that point on, they would focus on the quarterfinals and that, that they, they don't really believe they could beat England. They think England are an incredibly tough opposition. If that's what's in their mind, then, as you know, they've actually got no chance at all of beating England. So that's what their press think, that they've written off the England game and they're planning on the quarterfinal. Jonesy, not everyone in Japan has the Times, Sunday Times expense account. So you've been talking to a journalist who's just had to fight, you know, make do with whatever he can get his hands on, really. Adam Hathaway. Hi, everybody back in London. Hi, Lol. Uh, I'm a roving reporter today. Uh, we're in downtown Tokyo, where um, I'm with the dog man, Adam Hathaway, the king of the tabloids. Uh, he's been in more tabloid newspapers than Katie Price and I'm with him in downtown Tokyo because he's showing us his way of life on this tour he's actually in a pod in fact he's in two pods the ruck and a real pod and we're standing outside his hall of residence right now Hathers we're standing outside your pod first of all uh, what brought you to this palace of uh, Tokyo? <clears throat> well, you've got to be honest, uh, Jonesy, the main thing is price. This is not just any ordinary pod, this is a budget pod. So this comes in at around £20 a night during the World Cup, and as you can see, it's got all the amenities you need. It's got a bed, it's got a TV, it's got charging points, blankets, shower, a communal bath, um, and it's worked absolutely perfectly. A few fans have been in here this week, a few Welsh lads. But mostly seems to be populated by Japanese businessmen who've, lost, who've missed the last train home. But when you say it's, um, it's got a communal bath facilities, what, in the pod? Not exactly in the pod, otherwise I'd drown. It's um, two floors down from my pod. It's an executive bathroom. Obviously, we get our own Japanese dressing gowns and stuff there, and uh, yeah, it works perfectly. OK, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're just going to go in entering the pod now, and um, we're opening the door. Because, oh, excuse me, ma'am, would you mind... <laughs> well, hang on, you said, it didn't say it was a double pod. Who was that? 
I told those girls who were hanging around the hotel last night okay. not to come in. OK, well, we're now entering the pod. I've got a cat I can try and swing in here, but it has got everything, as you said. Well, it's got a bed. Is it air-conditioned? Yeah, we've got aircon there. It whirs a little bit. If the bloke next door's just snoring, then you, uh, you do get a bit of that. But, basically, um, you get what you pay for out here, don't you? S- slightly claustrophobic or not too bad? Not at all. As you know, I had mirrors installed all the way around mine before I got here, so they've, they've spe- done a special refit for me. I wish I'd now brought two peas with me, then there'd be two peas in the pod. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, from downtown Tokyo, um, thank you, Adam, for showing me your facilities here. It's a great idea, and all joking apart, it's an expensive place. And all the lads down here, all the ladies who come to, at their own expense, to cover this tournament have done absolutely wonderfully. So have you. Uh, one thing I would say is if you... If you planning on coming out and you haven't got accommodation and your team is sort of a shock semi-finalist or something I'd get involved in the pods sorry is it, are you on a bung for this or what I'm on a massive bung yeah I'm, okay. the, I'm the pod father okay well just contact the dog man and the pod father it's a little bit noisy in downtown Tokyo it's Lyndon Skinner and Sweet Home Alabama in the background but uh, for a new way of touring back the dog man ring the pod So, Jonesy, if you couldn't find any other accommodation uh, in the lead-up to the quarterfinals, would you consider staying in one of these pods? Struggled to get his big feet in there, Lawrence, I'll tell you that. No, I'd rather sit in the all-night bus than go in there, but God bless Hathers, and uh, God bless all those all those people who come over here and put all their money saved up and drafted it out, and they're at something that's wonderful. And I just have one last word on the Russian team, Lawrence. Putin, Starling, Lenin... Yuri Gagarin, your boys will take a hell of a beating. <laughs> My thanks to Owen Slot, Stephen Jones, Peter O'Reilly. The Ruck returns on Thursday when we'll look forward to England's encounter with Argentina and the rest of the weekend's fixtures. Never miss an episode. Subscribe now through Acast, iTunes or your favourite podcast provider. <laughs>